For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost and the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but which is through faith in Christ. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize for the upward call in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I would say that almost every single one of you knew every one of those verses that I said. And it comes from one tiny little book in the Bible called Philippians that was written by Paul through the Holy Spirit. It's four chapters long. And this book is dripping with joy. Paul was in prison. He was in a really tough spot. And yet there's nothing that can ever hold back the Spirit of God, and certainly not then. See, Paul was in prison, and people were coming to know the Lord, even though he was in a difficult situation that I know myself probably would, you know, crumble and be crying. And yet here's Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, and amazing things are happening in a difficult situation. So this morning, we want to look at joy and happiness. You know, I have a, a young man who works for me at the bank, and the other day he came and we were talking, and he was saying, look, last night at 4 o'clock in the morning, my child was projectile vomiting, and it was a mess. And I don't know any parents out there who have ever had that happen before, but I can tell you that was sucking the joy right out of his life. It sucked the joy out of anyone's life. And those are the things that we deal with every day, right? Those are the things that happen that we're not feeling all that joyful when things like that happen. And not to trivialize that I have you know, a silly thing in my house at night, uh, almost every night, and my doctor's not too happy with me, but I have the biggest bowl of ice cream you ever saw. My family always looks at me like, again, you're going to eat ice cream? I am, it makes me happy. <laughs> it makes me happy. I, I love it. And I will go get nuts. I'll put it on. I'll, put, I'll, I'll just make this amazing-looking thing. And I'm just like, it's awesome. But what makes me not joyful and not happy is when I open up the freezer and I take out the carton, open the top off, and it's empty. And then I'm like, well, who did that? And then I realized it was me. Because nobody else really likes ice cream in my house. So those are the things that happen in our lives, you know, day by day. But what is joy? 
joy is no matter what happens in your life, you are linked to Jesus Christ. We are linked. We are in Christ. So no matter what happens to you, remember that and understand that we can have joy, a peace that passes all understanding. Now, Paul wrote Philippians. I'm just going to read the first five verses to you. It says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So what I want to talk about today is those first days. Here's Paul about 12, 10, 12 years later after he had planted the Philippian church. So he's saying, I'm so thankful for you, and he mentions the first day. I just want to go back a little bit, and I had to say I was sorry to Jason because I made him read all of that. But that is basically the beginning of the Philippian church, and I'm glad he did because it sort of sets up what we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to go back a little bit, and I want to just talk about how God is working. God works through conflict. And you know, being in the church, I don't know why, I always forget that even in the church, we have conflict. It's almost like when it, it rears its ugly head, it always like hits me like, oh wow, you know, we are sinners, we are people, and that will happen. But sometimes it does take us off guard. So Jason had read about Paul and Barnabas. They're going to go back to the churches. They're going to strengthen them. And they have an awesome plan. What's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. Until all of a sudden, Paul says, there's this guy, John Mark. I don't want him coming. Paul's bar was way up here. I need to preach, preach Christ. That's all I need to do. And people need to come to know him. And Mark deserted them on their missionary journey. So Paul basically was saying, I don't think he should go. Not only that, a sharp disagreement came up. Now, Barnabas, who was Joseph, he was really an encourager. He would come along people. He came along Paul when no one would have anything to do with Paul. They were afraid of Paul because he was literally standing by watching Christians be killed. And here is Barnabas coming alongside Paul. But there's a sharp disagreement between the two of them. So it says that they split. Barnabas doing what he does best takes Mark. And Paul, what he does best, he is um, commissioned by the church, and he picks Silas, and they move on to strengthen the churches, so they think, because that's their plan. So we will see how there is conflict in the church. And it can be disheartening. It could really bother us, because it doesn't make sense. You know at work, you know at home, you know at those places you're going to have conflict, but what about here? What about when we're in the church? We don't always expect that. You know, Amy Carmichael was an amazing missionary. Very young in her life, God impressed upon her to have compassion and mercy upon people. And very young in her life, she met, as she was giving out food in Belfast in the slum, she met a little girl. And the little girl came up to her, and Amy gave her some bread. And then an old woman came up, had a shawl over her head, and the old woman came up and picked up the girl. And what Amy couldn't believe was when the shawl fell off the girl, she was about Amy's age. She wasn't an old woman. She wasn't 70 or 80. And Amy couldn't believe it. There was hundreds of girls in Belfast back in the early 1900s who were working long hours, and it was crippling their bodies in, in, in linen industry. And what Amy decided to do was, I'm going to reach out to these people. I'm going to show them the love of Christ. 
There's nothing wrong with that. God put it on her heart. So she went to her pastor, and the pastor said, absolutely. And they opened up the church. And do you know that the members of that church gave the pastor the hardest time? Who do you think you are letting these people in here, these rats? They smell. They have bugs. You're letting them in the church. And they bothered this pastor to no end. And he wouldn't give up. He would not relent. So they went to Amy. And they kept bugging her and bugging her. These are members of the church, and this conflict arose. Praise God that there were people within the membership and even outside that after two years, from that one girl, after two years, they had 400 young women in Bible study, and the church didn't want them there. So there were people who raised money, and they bought a building somewhere else. So these things do happen. In churches, we have conflict. I want to go over James 4. Let me just read it to you, and then I'm going to give you another version. And James 4, it says, Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. Now, when I read that, I kind of wanted to close my Bible and walk away. Because God's Word convicts us. It's saying, think again, they come from inside of us. They come from our hearts, not so much outside. It says, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war with inside your members? Now, we have to understand that in a group this size, in a group this size, there has to be some conflict. Maybe there are people that haven't spoken to a brother or a sister or a mother. Or maybe they haven't spoken to you. Or maybe you're living with that and you're lonely and discouraged. You know, as time goes by with conflict, it gets worse and worse and worse. And the thing that I thought about this week was my own stupidity when it comes to fixing things. It will get better. I don't know if you've ever done that. It will just fix itself. You know, the light bulb will come out by itself and somebody else will put it in. And a couple of, maybe 10 years ago, my friend Keith and I were going to a Met game. And I am still so embarrassed about this, and I can hear the noise in my head. We were driving down the road, and we were getting to Shea Stadium, and you could just hear the creaking of my brakes because I never changed the pads. And we're in Queens, and you could just hear them going, sparks are flying everywhere. It was like 4th of July. And I just kind of cringed, and I looked over at Keith, and I was like, he's going to think I'm an idiot. Not only that, is we get the kids in the back. Sorry, hon. we got the kids in the back, and, and it's just an embarrassing thing. So what did I do? It will go away. It will take care of itself. That does not happen. And besides the fact, it's more expensive when you try to fix your brakes after you let it get down to nothing. I found that out. A lot more expensive. How does God handle conflict? But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, can we do this? Can you do that? Can I do that? Sometimes I can't, to be honest with you. And please don't misread me this morning, because we're going to get into some things here. And you might say, well, Harrigan thinks I need to be perfect. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We need Christ. We need him to help us, to his spirit, to move us to these things. And we're all, I heard a pastor say one time, we were all under construction until he comes or takes us home. 
So please don't be so hard on yourself. You know, Mark and Paul reconciled. At the end, Paul said, Mark is useful for ministry for me. And I have to think it's because Barnabas came alongside and lifted Mark up. So that conflict was resolved. But a lot of our conflicts don't just resolve in one day. It does take time. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. See, the key, Ken Sandy said this, the key to understanding love and mercy and forgiveness to others is understanding that love, mercy, and forgiveness of God, that it's extended to us from him first. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to go to page 1368, 1368, and look at 1 Corinthians 13 with me, and we just have a brief exercise. Not jumping jacks or anything like that. But when I heard this exercise, it really, again, convicted me. And again, please hear me, we're not asking anyone to be perfect. This is literally a picture of God. This is who God is, but this is who we're supposed to strive to be like. So in 1 Corinthians, it says... Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, and does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What we want to do, and I'll do it, for myself, and if you just go along putting your own name in and thinking about it during the week, but what if we did this? Replace the word love with your own name. Replace the word it with your name. So it looks something like this. Mark is patient. Mark is kind and is not jealous. Mark does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Mark does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth and bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's what I want to be like, and that's what I pray for God every day. I'm not always going to be like that. If you live in a family, if you live in a church, if you live with other people, they'll tell you, and you'll know yourself. We're not always going to be like this, but this is what we strive for, to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I just want you to listen to this hymn. We sang this earlier. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me whom to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So when we think about conflict and dealing with other people, we need to understand what God has done to us for us first. Secondly, we need to understand that God works by directing our steps. You know, Paul and Barnabas had a wonderful plan. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And that's what we're going to do. You know, Scripture literally says that the Holy Spirit did not permit them to go where they wanted to go, and there was nothing wrong with their plan. They wanted to go strengthen the churches. It says the Spirit of Jesus would not let them go. 
And they, I, I would think they were probably scratching their heads. Listen to these verses. For in him we live and move and exist. Even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. And Jeremiah, it says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in man who walks to direct his steps. In Proverbs 20, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? In Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. When I first became a Christian, my in-laws gave me a Bible. And in the first page was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I've never forgotten that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But then what happens? You know, we understand that there's divorce, there's death, there's bankruptcy, there's health issues. How many people in this church know of a child that's been bullied at school? I mean, life is not easy. Life is difficult. It is filled with trials that, you know, in and of ourselves, we have to cry out to God to help. And to see, when those things happen, they don't make a lot of sense. But we need to ask God to make sense of it. And I just wanted to tell you a story about Laura's story. And you probably heard her song, Blessing. Well, her husband started to act a little odd. And he would sit on the couch and he would just stare at the TV. And they went back and forth to doctors, back and forth to doctors. And, and finally they said he has a brain tumor. And Laura says that what, what happened was their church, her and her husband, really believed that God would completely, completely heal him. And they believed God for that. But that's not what happened. And he is to this day, he is disabled. And they live with that every day. But some amazing things God started to do in her heart. She's a worship leader at a church, and she said, you know what? I have to quit my job. I can't keep worshiping. Um, it's just, I have too many questions, more than answers. And then God showed her that God is to be praised in the valley as much as he's to be praised on the mountaintop. He deserves our praise. He deserves our glory and honor, no matter what situation you are going through. So you, you and I must understand God is no less worthy in any situation to be praised. Let me just read some of her songs. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love us too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, I've said that verse so many times. But then you have to think, what is God's purpose for your life? 
And if you read the next verse there, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And that is what God is doing through our trials. That is what he's doing in our lives, that, he, that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, and then we hear so many people, like I tell you a story about somebody else, and we hear things on the radio, and we see people struggling. But what about when it happens to you? You know, Linda and I woke up in January, and um, <clears throat> woke up in January. I don't know why that happens sometimes. Um, I'm doing good, though. I control it. I push it back. Um, and in January, we all got the flu, and everyone got better except Kara. So, you know, in my own stupidity, I say things like, oh, it's just the flu, it will get better, kind of a thing. But she never got better. And then she lost five pounds, and then she lost 10 pounds, and then she lost 15 pounds. We kept taking her back to the doctor, and then what happened was she wouldn't get out of bed. So Linda and I are at home and not knowing what to do. I've never been through that situation before. And she wouldn't get out of bed. I, I didn't know. So we prayed with her, and we tried to move her, and she was going through a trial that we didn't understand. And it, it lasted for months. But my point of telling you this is because I knew everything was going to be okay at one point. It was really bothering me that I couldn't figure this out or fix it myself. I don't know if you like to fix things, but when people are hurt, you want to fix it, and you want to make it better. And sometimes it just doesn't work. We can't do it. So I walked in her room one day, and she was sitting on her bed, and she was reading her Bible. And that simple little thing, I knew everything was going to be okay. Because she was moving towards God. God was moving towards her. She's okay. Even if it never went away, she was in the right place. And that's where we need to be, with our Bibles open, reading them, praying to God in every and every situation. All our trials in this life are to point us to Christ. My last point, God works through opening our hearts in Christ. This is what it says about Lydia. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that Paul spoke. Praise God that he opens your heart and my heart to respond to the gospel. You know, we see Lydia here. She's seeking for God. She's by the riverside. She's a worshiper of God. She's a worshiper of the God of, of Israel, but she's not a Christian before Paul and the Holy Spirit speaks to her. And uh, Sorry, the Holy Spirit opens her heart. She's not a true believer in Jesus Christ, and yet she's seeking for God. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Psalm 119, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Have you this morning ever surrendered to Jesus Christ and responded to him? And most of us have, but some of us haven't. If you hear God knocking on your heart, respond to him. 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And I pray that you would believe that today if you haven't, and that you would surrender to him. Do you know how many people were like Lydia that were worshipers and go to church on a Sunday, a Wednesday, year in and year out, and never, ever, ever surrender to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And they could be right next to you and they come to church and they have never done that. You know, I was like Lydia in some sense, where early in my life, people had given me the gospel. And then I just, you know, someone wrote it down, I put it in my pocket, I threw it away, but I kept, God kept giving me the gospel. Until I'll never forget August 5th, 1985, 1 o'clock in the morning on 347, driving, I see someone on the side of the road, he's out of gas, I stop, I pick him up, go get gas, we're coming back, we're on the highway, I'm driving my first car, a 1967 Volkswagen with a chrome bumper and no seatbelts. And someone going about 90 miles an hour with their headlights off just smashed right into my car. The only thing I remember is green, because my car was green. The next thing I remember is laying on the, on the cement when the police officer said, he's gone, he's dead. Everything in my being, I don't even know if he was talking about me, but I heard him. I just was screaming, I'm not dead. From that moment on, I laid in the hospital for 10 days. Doctor came in and said, get up, you can go home. It's bizarre. I broke a bone in my neck, my ribs. I lost like 40 pounds. But from that moment on, I would just literally say, who is God? Is there a God? What am I doing here? Are you real? And it didn't stop. And then the worshiping got even worse. because I figured it has to be. I would jog three miles there and back to Christ the King Church in Comac and just go to every worship service there was. Until finally I sat in the parking lot and just cried because there was nothing there. God didn't stop there. He moved me, kept moving me until I met my wife, met my mother-in-law, and they gave me the gospel. And I finally surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, your story may be different than mine, obviously. But we all have a story. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's true of every single one of us and everyone we give the gospel to. Just finally, at this last point, you know, Lydia's heart was overflowing. I met somebody on Wednesday night at Pioneer Girls, and I said, there's something different about this guy. The spirit of the Lord was just flowing out of him, and I had to ask him, what's up with you? He basically said he was saved five months ago out of a horrible life, and he just has to tell everyone about Jesus. I was like, this is amazing. I could just see it like pouring out of him. You know, Lydia was the same way. You know, she be, it says she beseeched Paul and the missionary team to come back to her house. It, li- it really means she begged them so much they couldn't say no. That's what she, she was so changed in her life. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross 
and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Let me just read that to you one more time, because this needs to be our cry. And we sang this a couple of weeks ago. It is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Now, in conclusion, you all know I'm crazy, but you're really going to think I'm crazy because i got a gallon of milk. And I'm always afraid when I go over here I'm going to fall, but so far I've been okay. <laughs> Someone said, are, are you bringing chocolate chip cookies with you? Um, and that would be really good. But I just want to, in closing, the next time you go shopping and you pick up a gallon of milk, I just want you to remember what I'm going to tell you. William Borden... In the, from the dairy company, and they still make, I couldn't find it, I think this is Tuscan, but anyway, uh, Borden ice cream, Borden milk, and William Borden, 1903, was about 16 years old. He was a millionaire at 16. His family said, you know what, we're going to send you around the world. They gave him a trip around the world at 16, but praise God, he wasn't looking to be the CEO of the company. He said, because he went on that trip and his family sent him, he said, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to be a missionary. Well, his family really wasn't all that happy, but they figured, you know, that will go away, like my breaks, you know, that will go away. But he goes, I believe it's Princeton, he goes to Princeton, and when he's at Princeton, he says, I, I'm going to be a missionary, but that's it. I'm not changing my mind. And in his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. And he keeps moving in his life, and God keeps using him. Do you know there was 1,300 students there at the time, and 1,000 of those students were in Bible studies because of William Borden? Amazing. So he keeps moving along in his life, and his father finally tells him, look, you will never, ever work in the company. You're done. And he wrote two more words in his Bible. No retreats. This morning, do you have no reserves for Christ? No retreating, no going back. Just think about that. This man had everything he could, the world would ever want, and yet he just wanted to tell people about Christ. So he moves along in his life. God is moving him, and he goes to China to study to be a missionary. And within a very short time, he contracts spinal meningitis and dies at the age of 25. A day or so before, he wrote, Two more words in his Bible. No regrets. No regrets. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. He was in the place that God wanted him to be. There was no mistake. His life may have been cut short, but it was what God had wanted. And his story went out throughout the whole world. So this morning I pray that me and you would have no reserves, no retreat, and no regrets in our lives, and that we would move ahead and have Christ at the center. Let's pray. Father, I am weak. I know what I am. I know who I am. I am nothing without you. Help us, Father, to have you at the center of our lives, knowing that you are working in our conflicts, 
that you are working to direct our steps. Lord, you are working in our lives, Lord, to open our hearts to the gospel. And not only that, to use us to tell other people about the gospel. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.